Good morning. Good morning, everyone. So good to see each one of us in the house of God. You know, we are the family of God, and truly, you know, whatever we do, we go through together, we grow together, we serve together. And there are many ways that we can serve, you know, everyone, regardless of age and talent, can contribute something. Some people can take photographs, and it turns out ugly. Other people can take photographs and it turns out nice. <laughs> so if you are the kind of person who likes to take photographs, please attend the workshop. We need you. Okay? Every cell group needs to have a videographer. We want every cell group to have a videographer. And tell your friends about it as well because some people like to do this kind of stuff but they have no way to express their talent. So even if they are non-Christians, pre-Christians, they can come and join us. They can learn and have fun together and contribute to something bigger than ourselves. Can you say amen? Amen. So whatever we, we do here, we'll, as much as possible, we want to open it up to the general public as well. These are skills that can be shared so that other people can learn and also contribute. Now, this is the third week of our mini-series on the story of a very unusual man that lived a long, long time ago. God testified that this man was blameless, upright, feared God, shunned evil. Not one time, but three times is mentioned. But in spite of the fact that he was such a pious, godly man, tragedy fell upon him. And in one day, he lost his vast wealth of all the farm animals camels and sheep and so on. Though he was the richest man at that time, he lost everything in one single day. And to make things worse, he lost his children as well. And he did not know what was going on. Why is this happening to me? And so he did not realize that he, he was not part of the conversation that happened between God and Satan, where Satan challenged God. This man, I know him better than you do. He fears you only because you have blessed him so tremendously and you've also put a hedge of protection around him. I can't even get near this man. That's why he fears you. If you would just remove the protection and if you would just take away all these blessings from his life, he will turn and curse you to your face. And God said to, to Satan, in effect, I know this man better than you do. You can test him. And that's why he lost all that in one day. And this is how he responded to his loss. Job 1, 21 to 22. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job did not sin nor charge God with wrongdoing. So here is this man, which is incredible. After all that catastrophic loss, unimaginable loss, instead of cursing God, he blessed God. But before he could even overcome the loss of his wealth, suddenly he lost his health. Is it enough that he lost his 10 children? Suddenly, his body came down with boils all over him and he was in misery. He couldn't rest. 
And he was not aware that there was another conversation where Satan challenged God. This man still loves you because what he really loves is his health. If you take away all that he has that is his health, he will curse you to your face. And God said, I know. In effect, saying to the devil, I know this man, you can take away his health, but you cannot take away his life. He sets the limit. And so, as a result of the misery on his body, he sat down and he scraped himself trying to find some comfort. And he was holding up his faith and integrity, but his wife couldn't take it anymore. And his wife said to him, Job 2.9, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. In other words, I can't believe it after all that this God has done to you. You say that the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. I don't understand why this would happen. And you are in misery. You might as well end it all. So she couldn't take it anymore. But he said to his wife, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Oops, what's going on? You speak as one of the foolish women speaks, which means normally you don't talk like that. <laughs> You're not a foolish woman. But I know this is too much for you to take. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. You see, God had given Job what is good. He has every right to allow adversity, pain, and loss. So, his three friends heard about it. They got a WhatsApp message. Job is suffering. <laughs> I think the message took a long time to reach him, <laughs> to reach his three friends. And so they made an appointment to journey to visit Job. And when they arrived, they looked at him and they said, who is this man? We can't even recognize him. He was totally out of shape, so to speak. And all they could do was just sit down on the ground with him, throw dust on their heads as a sign of mourning, and they just sat with him for seven days and seven nights and said nothing because his suffering was so great. They just didn't know what to say. And that was the best part. They didn't say anything. But after seven days, they started to open their mouths, and that's when everything went wrong. <laughs> okay? Sometimes it's better for us not to say anything. Right? And they tried to convince him, there must be a reason why you are suffering terribly. It must be because you have done something terribly wrong, which is unknown to us. And that's why God must be punishing you. They had very simple theology, but it could not explain all the mysteries of life. Job himself had seen during his own lifetime how some of the wicked people escape punishment, some of the righteous people also suffer. So he rejected their arguments, but they still tried. Round after round, they tried to convince him, and it went on for 20 old chapters in Job. But as his misery rolled on, Job got tired and a bit discouraged, and he cursed the day of his birth. He said, I wish I was never born. I wish that death would come and end my misery, and he fell into depression. Now, depression is a very real thing today. A lot of younger people are getting depressed too. And don't take it lightly. Even men of God can get depressed. 
Elijah asked God to take away his life, and so did Jeremiah. So it's something that we need to deal with, and there is help available. There's nothing to be ashamed of when you, when you know you're going through depression, and you know someone is going through depression, refer them for professional help, because, you know, there is help available. It just means that we are human, we struggle. It doesn't mean that we have lost our faith. There's nothing to be ashamed about. And in times of depression, we sometimes think thoughts that are not, that don't make sense. And we even say things like, God has become my enemy. This is what happens to Job. You see, his three friends tried to help him, but they could not. They did not. Their theology was so simple. They believed that trouble only comes to those who sin. And sin always causes suffering in this life. And righteousness always leads to prosperity in this life. This is all they could see, right? So they were trying to tell him, Brother Job, your children must have committed some great sin against God. That's why God allowed the wind to blow upon their house while they were partying and crushed them all to death. Actually, God didn't even give you what you really deserve. Job, you are suffering because you refuse to repent. Now, this is very simplistic theology, and, uh, you know, they were insensitive. In fact, they were outright cruel. Now, there are some things we should never say to the people who are in grief. And there are other things that we can say which are helpful. I will not repeat them. If you missed the sermon, go to the podcast in our PCC website, and then you can listen for yourself. And so this is where we go into our third part. Job still cannot find the reason for his suffering. His friends did not succeed to convince him. He has won the argument, but he still does not know why he is suffering. He maintains that God is still just and God is always right in what he does, but he cannot understand why. You see, in this life, some things seem arbitrary beyond our human ability to understand. But one day, all the wrongs in this life will be made right. Can you say amen? All the wrongs will be made right. All the criminals that escaped justice, that dragged the court case until they died before they could be sentenced. <laughs> I hope it doesn't happen in Malaysia. I, know you, I think you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Okay. One day all the wrongs will be made right. And we can still trust God that though we cannot understand all His ways, we can trust His heart, as we sang in the song now. If this is all you hold on to, it is not bad. That is a good way to live. We just cannot understand everything that goes on. We cannot explain. But we can continue to hold on to the truth that God is loving, He's kind, He's just, He's wise, He knows what He's doing. But there is more that God intends to teach us through this long book that is 42 chapters. Okay? But I'm not preaching 42 sermons, only four. Okay? And here comes another man onto the scene. Job 32, this is where we start a new ground. So these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. 
Then the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzai of the family of Ram, was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather than God. In other words, he's saying, Job is saying, I'm right. I'm right. Then maybe God might have done something wrong or what? He also against his three friends. His wrath was aroused because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. They were literally making up things to convince Job that he must have done something wrong. Now because they were older, they were years older than he, Elihu had waited to speak to Job. You see, this is in the Orient, in the East. We respect those who are older. Amen? Hello? Loving all generations. <laughs> okay. And we wait for the older people to speak first. And after they have spoken and they have nothing more to say, then the younger will take their turn. And he was a younger man, okay? very respectful. And Elihu waited for, it had waited to speak to Job. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, his wrath was aroused. Now, this is a very wise man, young man. If you're looking for a name for your son next time, Elihu is not bad. <laughs> okay, sounds a bit funny, but he's a good character. Actually, there are six chapters devoted to his speech. You know? How many Bible characters have six chapters <laughs> given to them? Okay. Uh, and amazingly, Job does not even argue with Elihu. He argued with the other three friends. Okay? It was like a sparring match back and forth. But after Elihu spoke, Job does not even try to argue with him. And at the end of the book, you will find that God actually rebuked the three men, three friends, because they spoke what was not right. But God did not rebuke Elihu. So obviously, there was something new that Elihu offered in his speech. Let's just look at some of it, right? There's about six chapters, and I don't have time to read through six chapters, okay? So 33, verse 8. Surely you have spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the sound of your words saying, this is Elihu speaking to Job. He says, Job, this is what I heard you say. I am pure without transgression. I am innocent there is no iniquity in me, and yet he, that is God, finds occasions against me. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks. He watches all my paths. Look. Elihu is addressing Job. Huh? Look, in this you are not righteous. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend with him? So Elihu obviously thinks that Job has said something wrong. In fact, he sees some pride and arrogance in Job. I mean, if you dare to talk to God and say, I am pure, without transgression, I am innocent, there is no iniquity in me. Any of you ever spoke to God like that before? <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> okay. But here was a man who was at the end of his rope, so to speak. You know, months of 
Misery has caused him to, you know, think a little bit irrationally, perhaps. Right? So he speaks in a disrespectful way to God. Now, I want you to know that Job was a righteous man. God said he was blameless three times. But blameless and sinless is not the same thing. Hello? You can be blameless without being sinless. To be blameless means that you always do what you know is right. But to be sinless means that you did not come from Adam. Any of you not born from Adam? All of us are born from Adam. So all of us have inherited a sinful nature. And people who are not Christians express it differently. They say, nobody is perfect. Have you heard that? Right? So he was not perfect. He was still a sinner. There was some hidden pride in his life that was brought to the surface only by the suffering. It was hiding down there. But the suffering kind of brought it up, just like, you know, when you, when you apply heat, uh, something at the bottom starts to bubble up, okay? So, Elihu continues to speak. And this is quite interesting. Job 33, verse 14. For God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it. So, he tells us that God has certain ways to get our attention, to speak to us. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men while slumbering on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction. Now, I want you to know that this is before there was such a thing called the Bible. There was no New Testament. There was no Old Testament even. God only could speak directly to people. Directly, okay? One to one. And audible voice. Sometimes people heard the audible voice of God. Other times, they received dreams and visions. How many of you, you had a dream and you woke up and you wondered, is God saying something to me in this dream? Any of you ever had such a dream before? Only a few people. The rest of you, when you woke up, what do you think? I ate too much chocolate last night. <laughs> Most of our dreams actually don't have much meaning. Right? It's true. But sometimes God may speak to us through dreams and visions. Okay? More rarely visions. But this is because... In those days, there was no Bible. So that was one of the ways God always spoke to men. Okay? And, you know, very interesting. Uh, one day I had a dream. And in the dream, I was preaching a sermon. <laughs> and that was exactly the sermon I needed to preach. <laughs> I wish that it would happen more often that I don't prepare sermons. You know? <laughs> they just come in the dream. <laughs> okay? But uh, this morning... I woke up, I went to the toilet, and when I went to the toilet, as I was in the toilet, a scripture came to me, and that's exactly the scripture I need for two weeks later, <laughs> okay? So sometimes God works in very mysterious ways, you know? Sometimes I will be waiting on God for hours, and, you know, He never says anything, you know? 
But sometimes out of the blue, you know, while I'm doing something else, you know, there will be just a flash. You know, and I know, God, thank you. That was what I needed. Okay, so God speaks in very uh, strange ways. But most important is this. Because God has already revealed to us His will, His word, we have the Bible as the written word of God. So even if you go have a dream or you feel an impression from God, you always check it with the Bible. Are you with me? Right? And since any of us can also have a biased way to read the Bible, okay, none of us are to- totally objective, it's always good after we read the Bible, check out, you know, what does the Bible say about my dream or my vision or my impression. Always get counsel from other mature believers or your pastors or leaders in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. Okay? So here is one way God speaks. And then... What is this for? Verse 17, continue. In order to turn man from his deed and conceal pride from man, he keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. Man is also chastened with pain on his bed and with strong pain in many of his bones. So Elihu is describing two ways that God speaks to man. This is the days before there was a Bible. Huh? The first is to dreams and visions. And the second is through pain and suffering. Now, in the NIV version, the same two verses read like that. Okay? God's purpose in speaking through dreams, visions, pain and suffering is to what? To turn them from wrongdoing and keep them from pride to preserve them from the pit, their lives from perishing by the sword. Now, let's just stop there. Two ways that God speaks. Dreams, visions. Sometimes we don't get it. Sometimes even when you read the Bible, God speaks to you, and you don't want to listen. Hello, have you been there before? Don't like this verse. Move on to another Bible chapter, okay? If this version doesn't give me what I want, I look for another Bible version that says what I wanted to say. You see, we have this, this tendency to, you know, choose our own way. So another way God chooses to speak is through the message of pain. It's a universal language. Now, we live in a society today where we thank God we have good medical care and you know, most of the time we don't have to live with pain. And it's a good thing you know, that people can find relief from pain. But unfortunately, because of this advancement, we have come to see pain as our enemy rather than pain as our friend. Because really, pain is a gift from God. You say, Pastor, is that you've gone crazy? <laughs> Keep the gift for yourself. <laughs> I don't need that. No, actually, pain is a gift because pain is the design of God where the different parts of your body can send a signal to your brain telling you something is going wrong and you need to do something about it. Are you with me? It's just like, you know, when you're driving down the highway, right? And you're enjoying yourself, you're speeding, and then suddenly you see a red light flashing on your, on your dashboard. Is it good or bad? Huh? Do you say, this thing is 
disturbing me. Uh. You take a hammer and then you smash it. You know. Okay, no more blinking, you know. And you can carry on speeding. And then suddenly, your car comes to a stop. Why? All the oil has gone. <laughs> the light was trying to tell you, something is wrong. Do something about it. So pain is a signal God has designed to send to our brain that something is going wrong and you better do something about it. So it's a gift. The people who lose the ability to feel pain are the people who suffer needlessly. You ask the people who have leprosy and they will say, I wish I could feel pain. That when I touch something hot, I will pull my hand back and not get burned for nothing. So pain is a gift from God to protect us from destruction, to allow us to do something about our problem early. It's an early warning system. Can I hear it? Amen. I am not very convinced. Uh, okay. Today, any pain, what happened? Panadol. Painkiller. You know, you want, to get, you want to get rid of the pain rather than finding out what is causing the pain. See, we want instant solution. So, sometimes when God cannot get our attention through dreams, visions, through His Word, through a Christian friend, through the pastor's preaching, you know, we don't listen. And then one day, God has no choice but to speak to us through pain. And it gets our attention. Immediately, we cannot ignore pain. It's something we cannot ignore. It is a universal language. It's a very effective communication. <laughs> That's why sometimes children also need pain, you know. It's called spare the rod and spoil the child, okay. Because that's the only message we understand, especially when we are young, even as adults, you know, when there is pain, physical pain, emotional pain, relational pain, it gets our attention. And then we ask God, what's happening? Have I done anything wrong? So it's God's way of getting our attention. And what's the intended outcome? Let's continue. Verse 27, chapter 33. And they will go to others and say, I have sinned. I have perverted what is right. But I did not get what I deserve. In other words, the pain, the suffering causes the man to realize I may have done something wrong. But God is still so merciful to me. He has not given me what I deserve. God has delivered me from going down to the pit and I shall live to enjoy the light of life. God does all these things to a person twice and even three times. Now, how many of you say God sometimes speaks to you five times, ten times before you do something about it? Don't say amen, say ouch. Sometimes we are very stubborn. Huh? We will not listen. So God speaks twice, even three times to turn them back from the pit that the light of life may shine on them. So God allows the righteous to suffer, not to punish, but to save from pride that may lead to death. Now, there are two instruments that can cause pain in our lives. And I want you to look at the picture. On the left is what is called an executioner's whip. Now, in some ancient societies, and maybe even today in some societies, 
Before they kill a person, execute a person, they inflict the maximum pain. And the whip is one of those terrible instruments. You know, when it hits you, it's, you know, it's indescribable pain. Right? The people who, who write about it, uh, they say you know, the pain shoots down your entire, you know, into your brain and you know, it's terrible. So it causes terrible pain. Now, there's another instrument that can cause pain. It is what the surgeon uses to cut your body to get to what needs to be taken out. Okay? It's a surgeon's knife or a scalpel. Now, I want to ask you, is there a difference between these two instruments? Yes or no? You see, one is to punish and eventually to kill. In fact, during the days of Jesus, there was a law among the Jews that, you know, if a person is to be, to be whipped as Jesus was whipped, there was a limit. It cannot be more than 40 times because people actually die from the whipping. Okay? So they had to have a limit to that. So one is to inflict pain, but the other one is to heal. If you had to choose... Which instrument would you rather choose if you had to suffer pain? Is it the whip or is it the surgeon's knife? You don't have to answer me. So Job was a righteous man, but there was something hidden inside. It's called pride. And that could only be exposed by suffering, which brought out the pride in him. And Elihu continues to speak, and he talks about suffering. They have, they have two different roles. Job 36 now, verse 5. God is mighty, but he despises no one. He is mighty and firm in his purpose. He does not keep the wicked alive. So here's one category of people, the wicked. But gives the afflicted their rights. He does not take his eyes off the righteous. So there's a second category. The righteous. He enthrones them with kings and exalts them forever. Now, if that is all he says, then he has not added any new understanding because even their three friends were arguing the same thing. That is, you know, righteous people are always exalted and blessed and prospered and wicked people are always, you know, judged. Although this is generally true, but there are exceptions. And this is where Job cannot understand why in this life, some of the wicked people escape punishment and some of the righteous people suffer. But then he goes on, verse 8. But if people are bound in chains, held fast by cords of affliction, he tells them what they have done, that they have sinned arrogantly. He makes them listen to correction and commands them to repent of their evil. So what it means is this. Sometimes... Only affliction, pain, and suffering can get our attention and make us realize, oh, I have acted arrogantly. I've done this out of pride. But even the righteous may have to suffer affliction 
And even though Job had said earlier that the righteous, he enthrones them with kings and exalts them forever, but we know that this is not always true because righteous people do not always get exalted to high places, at least in this life. Okay? But the effect of the suffering opens their ears to God's correction and they repent, even though there's still sin in their life, hidden as exposed now by suffering, Job recognizes there's something that he needs to repent of. So suffering refines the righteous. Can you say amen? Come on, amen? amen. Suffering refines the righteous, makes him aware of what is remaining, the sin remaining in his life, helps him turn away from it, opens his ears to, to right to God. And the psalmist says the same thing, Psalm 11971. It was good for me that I was afflicted. This man is crazy. Whoever says that, it was good. But he has a reason that I may learn thy statutes. There are certain aspects of God's holiness that God's people can only learn through affliction. I hope it doesn't scare you to think, Pastor Isaac, I don't want to be holy. Because if it costs me pain, I don't want to be so holy. But God is kind. And He will not afflict us with pain unnecessarily. So there's a new angle here that Elihu is giving us that the suffering of the righteous is not the fire that destroys us, but the, the fire that refines us. And for God's people, suffering is not for punishment. It is for purification. It is to purify us. But then, there is another effect it produces in another kind of people. 36.13 The godless in heart harbor resentment. Even when God fetters them, puts their feet in stocks and so on, they do not cry for help. Here's the different group of people. Okay. For one group, when they suffer, they cry out to God. And they, and they ask, oh, I must have done something wrong. To another group, when they suffer, they get angry at God. They curse God and they resent Him and they die in their youth. So, obviously, they are two kinds of people that Job is talk, uh, that Elihu is talking about here. Okay? And suffering produces a different result. So, these three friends tried to convince Job, but Elihu tells them, you are wrong. You are not giving him the right answer he's seeking. And he argues that the righteous also suffer, but their suffering is not to punish sin, but to refine them. Suffering helps them see their own imperfection and deepens their faith and godliness. So the three friends were wrong. But then Job himself was wrong because Job had no answer to suffering his idea was the same 
as his three friends. The only problem was that he thought he was righteous completely and he did not deserve to suffer pain. So his theology was very similar to the three friends. That's why he was frustrated. God, you're treating me like an enemy. Job was wrong. This is how he spoke to God, 13, 23, and 24. How many wrongs and sins have I committed? Show me my offense and my sin. Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? Have you ever spoken to God like that? How many wrongs and sins have I committed? Anyone dare to talk to God like that? But this was what he said. He was trying to justify himself at the expense of God. He was not as pure as he thought he was. And only the misery dragging on for months caused him to realize that there was something that needs to be confessed. It brought out a hidden pride of sin. So the test that God allowed him to go through confirmed that he still feared God. God received the glory. And furthermore, he received new insight on the purposes of God. Now, as we bring this to a close, today you and I, we are living the day when we can look back to the cross. They were looking forward to a Redeemer. But today we can look back the plan of God. And we know that the, the problem of sin is finally answered through Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior. Can you say amen? Jesus Christ, His death and His resurrection has already paid for our sins and made us righteous. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves righteous before Him. We just come in repentance and faith and we trust in His mercy and grace. Can you say amen? So God's children are righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ. God's children may suffer in this life, but it is not punishment for sin, but a refining. And it is not done in a random way. Just as a surgeon, you know, he doesn't just take the knife and just kind of like, let me see if it's here. Cut. Oh, no, here, not here. Maybe it's here. Cut, you know. No, he's not knife happy. He's very precise. There are lots of investigations before deciding, okay, this is where we need to go in. And we will go in in such a way as to cause the minimum damage. And today we have laparoscopic surgery as well, right? In other words, they make a tiny hole and they go in and the healing is fast. So the surgeon is loving and caring. He is not there to inflict pain. That's only a side effect, so to speak, right? It's like collateral damage, his purpose is to cure. You see, God allows suffering to refine us and make us holy so that He is glorified. And this is what it says in 1 Peter 1, 3-7. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mystery, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil of faith. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through Faith are shielded. Say shielded. Now, this is an important idea. Huh? That means true faith, 
We are shielded by God's power. That means we are protected by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. That means it's not yet. It's still coming, right? In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer. Say suffer. Suffer grief of all kinds of trials. Huh? Shielded and suffer doesn't sound the same. Hello? How come? Peter says we are shielded and then he says we suffer. If you are shielded, then we should not suffer. No, it's not contradictory. He explains, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Hallelujah. That's the purpose for God allowing us to go through suffering and grief is so that Jesus Christ may be glorified. He does shield us. But God shields us from what can destroy us ultimately. That means anything that will destroy us eternally, God shields us. Can you say amen? But He doesn't shield us from the suffering that cannot destroy us, but can only refine us. Hebrews 12, verse 10, Our earthly fathers discipline us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of what? Righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, Paul says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great Treasure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. So it teaches us to rely on God. And James says in chapter 1, verse 2 Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Amen. And you will lack nothing. So, the pain that God allowed Job to suffer was not the pain of an executioner's whip, but of a surgeon's knife. Carefully going in, to take out the pride that remained in his life. When God allows suffering to remove the sin of pride, hiding deep in our hearts, it is the proof that he loves us. Because if he does not take it out, it may grow and it may eventually destroy us. You ask any patient that has gone through surgery and recovered, and you ask them, was it painful? After the, after the surgery, after the anesthesia wore off, was it painful? Yes, I had to take painkiller. It was very painful. But you ask them, was it worth it? Was it worth the pain? You say, yes, because I now feel good. I'm well. So there is a purpose for the pain. Amen? There's a purpose. Sometimes when we think that God is not answering our prayer, God's not giving us mercy. We may be mistaken. I want to close with a 
a song by a worship leader by the name of Laura Story. And let's just allow these words to speak to us as we close.
Apostle James concludes his letter by these words, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As an example of suffering and patience, indeed we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Father, we thank you. You are very compassionate. You are very merciful. And you speak to us in ways that will get our attention so that your work may be completed in our hearts. We thank you for the assurance of your love, your sovereignty, your kindness, your goodness, your wisdom as we go through this life, that we may not only receive your blessing, but we may share your blessings. Let's stand together. Let's receive the blessing of our Lord.